The America's National Parks podcast is sponsored by L.L. Bean, dedicated to helping you experience all the benefits of time outside and stay more comfortable while you're out there. From soft and breathable activewear designed to do it all, to just right layers perfect for changing weather, to sun smart clothing that blocks the sun's harmful rays, every L.L. Bean product is made with comfortable time outside in mind. Visit LLBean.com to shop now. L.L. Bean. Be an outsider. An incomprehensible woman in pants. She rode horseback through the four corners, making sketches of prehistoric Pueblo ruins. But it has always been life itself which has interested her most. And to it, she brought both an Irish mysticism and Irish wit, a tender heart, and a caustic tongue. Frank Waters. Throughout history, architects have borne a fairly heavy responsibility, and not only to make sure that their creations remain standing. As the modern-day encyclopedia Wikipedia defines it, architecture is both the process and the product of planning, designing, and constructing buildings or other structures. Architectural works and the material form of buildings are often perceived as cultural symbols and as works of art. An architect's design has to serve a purpose in terms of its usefulness, and it needs to reflect the times in which it was built, its location and attendant history, and the culture that surrounds it. It's easy to dismiss this level of care and concern when we look at only one of thousands of utilitarian buildings like schools and offices that look generic at best and at worst forgettable. One American architect was a pioneer who made sure that her designs connected to and respected their locales and their culture. Her creations in and around the Grand Canyon have inspired a century of visitors. I'm Jason Epperson, and today on America's National Parks, Mary Coulter. One of the very few women architects of her time, Mary Coulter blended her lifelong love and respect of Native American arts and rustic elements with a fierce perfectionism, all to create a beautiful and singular aesthetic that left her imprint on the look of the modern American Southwest. Her designs can still be seen all throughout Arizona, particularly around Grand Canyon National Park. The Bright Angel Lodge, El Navajo, El Tovar, the La Fonda Hotel, and Phantom Ranch. Four of her best-known projects, the Desert View Watchtower, Hermit's Rest, Hopi House, and the Lookout Studio, are known collectively as the Mary Coulter Buildings, and as a group were designated as a National Historic Landmark in 1987. While Coulter's name is familiar to students of art, architecture, and interior design, she's largely unknown to the general public. Let's change that. Here's Abigail. Mary Elizabeth Jane Coulter, the daughter of Irish immigrants William and Rebecca Coulter, was born in Pittsburgh on April 4, 1869. Her early childhood was marked by a fair amount of transience as the family moved from Pennsylvania to Texas to Colorado and settled in St. Paul, Minnesota when Coulter was 11. In the late 1800s, St. Paul was experiencing significant growth, both in terms of its physical size as well as its economy. 
While its expansion signaled a look to the city's future, St. Paul did not ignore its more recent past. Approximately 100 miles west of St. Paul in the Lower Sioux Indian Reservation lived a significant number of Dakota. Many of the citizens had participated in the Dakota War of 1862 and were forced to leave as Minnesota became a state. Coulter's uncle gave her a number of beautifully colored sketches that Sioux prisoners held in the 1870s after the Battle of Little Bighorn had created during their internment. The young girl developed a fascination with this art and with the people. When a smallpox epidemic ravaged the reservation, Coulter's mother, in fear that the artwork would sicken her family, tried to destroy the sketches. Coulter refused to surrender her precious gifts and instead hid the drawings for safekeeping. She kept the Sioux artwork with her for the rest of her life. These drawings spurred Coulter's curiosity towards Native American culture, and this interest would bloom into a lifelong passion. As an art student at St. Paul High School in the 1880s, Coulter was exposed to the burgeoning arts and crafts movement, where craftsmanship, utility, and the use of natural elements in design gained favor over mass-produced items. This perspective later became a fundamental aspect in Coulter's building and interior design styles. Coulter graduated from high school at age 14, and at age 17, her father died. With few reasons to stay in St. Paul, Coulter applied to and was accepted to the California School of Design in Oakland, which had opened in 1871. While she received an excellent art education with a focus on drawing and painting, it was an apprenticeship at a Bay Area architecture firm that helped her hone her vocational interests even further. Coulter received an offer to return to St. Paul to teach drawing, art, and architecture at the Mechanic Arts High School. Some of her students went on to pursue careers in design, going so far as to participate in the 1893 World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago and the 1904 St. Louis World's Fair, winning design awards at each. Coulter also lectured at the University of Minnesota Extension School and further established herself in St. Paul's cultural community as an editor and book reviewer for the St. Paul Daily Globe newspaper. A serendipitous meeting between Coulter and a young woman named Minnie Harvey Huckle at a St. Paul civics club, where Coulter often lectured on topics related to art, culture, and design, spawned a huge and wonderful advance in her career. In the days when train travel was the primary mode of cross-country transportation, numerous companies existed to support the business of train tourism. One of the most respected and successful was the Fred Harvey Company, which created the Harvey House chain of restaurant hotels along rail lines. The Harvey Houses placed great emphasis on consistency and quality in their staff, food, customer service, and lodging all standard expectations for the hospitality industry. However, the Fred Harvey Company was also known for their enthusiastic support of the growing tourism business in the Southwest. Huckle, daughter of the founder of the company, gleaned from Coulter her great desire to incorporate Native American arts and crafts into her work. While the actual series of events has been lost to time, it is believed that Huckle recommended that her father employ Coulter as the interior designer to the Hotel Alvarado in Albuquerque, New Mexico, one of the Fred Harvey Company's most recent acquisitions along the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe Railways. Coulter accepted the position. She advanced in the company not only as a designer and decorator, but as an architect as well. 
Coulter would spend a total of 46 years with the Fred Harvey Company, most of them as the company's lead designer and architect. All in all, Coulter completed 21 standout projects, ranging from hotels and other lodgings to public use spaces, including rest areas and shops along the rail lines. She accomplished all of this in the early 20th century as one of the very few women architects working in a male-dominated field and in a business run at that point by Fred Harvey's sons. Her work often led her to toil in challenging conditions, but bad weather and exposure to the elements, plus long hours focused on exacting details, never swayed Coulter from bringing her visions to completion. What is it about Coulter's designs and architecture that makes them so memorable? Let's look at some of the consistent features that remain hallmarks of a Coulter design. Coulter took much of her inspiration from the natural landscapes and wanted for her buildings and creations to reflect the Native American cultures of the Southwest and appear to emerge from the canyon while not distracting from the natural beauty surrounding them. She employed local indigenous artists and builders and relied on construction materials from the area. Coulter's travels and research through Native American ruins further cemented her belief that her creations should not look like replicas, nor her own personal interpretations of Native American designs, but should instead offer as real and close of designs as possible to the originals. The Hopi House is located on the south rim of the Grand Canyon. Coulter's designs for the Hopi House took inspiration from several pueblos she had seen while traveling through Arizona. The Hopi House was large enough to house members of the Hopi tribe that Coulter had engaged to assist in its construction. Coulter also required that the space be functional enough so that the Hopi residents could utilize it to create many of their traditional arts and crafts. The Hopi House was built from rough-hewn stone and shaped as a Hopi pueblo. A traditional Pueblo uses adobe as building material, which is straw and clay and other earthen materials. This Pueblo is rectangular in shape, with terraced roofs and different levels and warm red adobe walls. Only a few small windows let in light, and several corner fireplaces keep the rooms warm. The floors bear interesting designs, and upon close inspection, visitors can see that the floors have been painted to resemble the patterns in Navajo blankets. The ceilings are plastered in a mixture of grasses and small tree branches covered in mud. The murals from a Hopi artisan, whose name has been lost to time, grace the staircase that leads to the second floor. The Lookout Studio, also simply known as The Lookout, is located on a precipice near the Bright Angel Lodge and the Hopi House. The Lookout's original purpose was to operate as a photography studio. Unlike other Coulter designs in this area, and because it was used for panoramic views, the lookout has large windows which flood the space with natural light. Its limestone walls are asymmetrical in height, and Coulter designed the lookout's appearance to be likened to the pile of a ruin. Indeed, before its roof was replaced, the lookout was topped with large piles of rocks to make it appear as though it was slowly crumbling and falling apart. Coulter adopted the use of a traditional Pueblo architectural element called vigas, or exposed wooden beams with the beams' ends visible from the exterior walls. The lookout now houses a gift shop and observation deck, complete with telescopes, and the jutting edge of the lookout offers amateur and professional photographers alike opportunities for stunning visual memories. Hermit's Rest sits at the western end of the Grand Canyon Rim Trail. 
Legend has that the curious name comes from the early 1890s when a Canadian prospector named Louis Boucher staked his claim below the present day location. Boucher lived happily as a hermit near the water source colloquially known as Dripping Springs and carved a trail appropriately called Hermit's Trail into the canyon. Coulter designed Hermit's Rest to look as though it's been in existence for hundreds of years, rising out of an earthen mound and surrounded by natural rock formations. Hermit's Rest features Coulter's familiar use of rough stone. Its front entrance boasts a stone arch and cracked bell that Coulter rescued from an abandoned mission in New Mexico. Despite the potential for appearing to be close to the ground, Hermit's Rest's interior rises unusually high for a Coulter design. A cafe is located on one side of the building, and Native American crafts used to be sold opposite. It's been said that Coulter herself placed actual spiderwebs, dirt, and ashes on the new construction to age it authentically. When Fred Harvey Company and railroad executives toured Hermit's Rest and chided Coulter about the prehistoric feel of its interior, Coulter clapped back with, You can't imagine what it costs to make it look this old. Desert View Watchtower, also called the Indian Watchtower at Desert View, rises 70 feet above the eastern end of the Grand Canyon South Rim. Coulter spent over six months researching the archaeology and the construction techniques used by the ancestral Pueblans, or Anasazi tribe, when they built their own watchtowers. Knowing that visitors would most likely place more wear and tear on her tower than one created for a tribe's use, Coulter wisely added a steel interior framework as well as a foundation of poured concrete to the watchtower's plans. Before she finished her designs, Coulter constructed a platform on the site to the same proposed height as the tower so that she could evaluate the views. Once again, Coulter designed the watchtower to look weathered and aged, as if it had risen from the earth and stone centuries ago. The base of the tower sits on the north end of a larger circle, and large, irregular stones that appear very old and hand-cut form the tower's base, which houses a gift shop and an observation room, offering visitors amazing views of the eastern edges of the Grand Canyon. Another enclosed observation room can be found near the top of the tower. On the tower's exterior, irregularly shaped small windows looked as though they were scattered haphazardly around. While short stairways connect the circular balconies that wrap the interior column, Coulter made use of a curious device to give visitors a different way to take in views of the Grand Canyon. Black mirrors. These small, slightly convex, black-stained mirrors, which Coulter cleverly called reflectoscopes, give users a way to view the Grand Canyon as though it possessed the colors and textures of landscape paintings. The users hold the mirror towards themselves while their backs are turned away from the sights they wish to view, giving them a different perspective of the rugged natural beauty of the Grand Canyon. In 1948, Coulter retired to New Mexico to spend her remaining days in her beloved Southwest and died in 1958 at age 88. She donated her extensive collection of Native American artwork to Mesa Verde National Park, Coulter's works, whether it be in buildings, interiors, or furnishings, retain a freshness and individuality, and her commitment to the promotion of Native American arts helped to define an entire genre. Her prominence in the worlds of art, design, and architecture continue to influence designers to this day. 
Grand Canyon, the 15th site to receive the designation of a national park, spans over 1.2 million acres in northwestern Arizona. It welcomes an average of nearly 6 million visitors every year, second only to Great Smoky Mountains National Park in annual attendance. Many consider the Grand Canyon to be one of the wonders of the world, and UNESCO has designated it a World Heritage Site. For over 10,000 years, humans have lived in and around the Grand Canyon, and 11 current Native American tribes can trace their history to the lands and rivers surrounding it. This episode of America's National Parks was hosted by me, Jason Epperson, narrated by Abigail Trebu, and written by Elizabeth Ellis. We hope you'll consider supporting us through our Patreon program for less than a dollar an episode. You can help us make these episodes possible by hiring writers to track down the stories you care about at patreon.com slash nationalparkspodcast. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For more great American destinations, give us a listen at the Sea America podcast. And if you're interested in RV travel, find us at the RV Miles podcast. You can also follow Abigail and me as we travel the country with our three boys all over social media as our wandering family. Today's show was sponsored by L.L. Bean. Follow the hashtag BeAnOutsider and visit LLBean.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks 